to a special bonus episode of the Geek Generation. We are here with Mr. Jeff Katz. Uh, just to give you a brief rundown of some of the things he's been involved with, Mr. Katz worked in WCW for a few years. Uh, he's been a comics writer on some titles like Booster Gold and was a Hollywood producer on movies such as Snakes on a Plane, Freddy vs. Jason, and X-Men Origins Wolverine. So I hope I covered a good amount of what you've had your hand in. How's that? Good. I mean, I, there's, there's, you know, it's. I'm, I'm happy to say I've got a long, bizarre resume. I mean, it, it, basically, if you turn on HBO or Cinemax at about three in the morning between Snakes on a Plane and Shoot 'Em Up, uh, <laughs> chances are. Uh, and I have another movie. I made a three million dollar little indie thing that's on Lifetime all the time. So I'm trying to basically that's cover awesome. my cable television bases as best <laughs> I can. That's, that's the ambition. That's well-versed. And, of course, you've, he's got the uh, big wrestling revolution project that's coming up. Oh, we'll absolutely be talking yeah. about that, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, first of all, the way your career started. Now, you started in WCW around the age of 16, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, my big break, realistically, if the, the, you know, that, that actually, in a weird way, was sort of this, uh, the second act of my career, even as odd as that you know, sounds when you're that age. Uh, I had started as a talk radio host in Detroit when I was 15 on a, a pretty big station, which actually you know, had been shut down and is now apparently back, uh, called WDFN, which, if you've seen uh, Private Parts, the Howard Stern movie, oh, yeah. uh, there's a scene in that movie where Stern's working in Detroit at a rock station. Yeah. They say, hey, we're turning into country, and he gets up and quits and goes to D.C. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and becomes right, the right. Howard Stern that you know, is the, the, the real Howard Stern. And that country station is what became the sports talk station WDFN. And so, you know, I was a uh, high school kid who was, you know, thank, thanks to my parents, grew up reading three newspapers a day and was got up for breakfast uh, before high school, was reading the, the Detroit Free Press, saw a blurb about the, the uh, format change, called and sort of BSed my way into a meeting and, and got a show. And so that sort of started me off, did that for a bit. Did the today today's show got a lot of nice publicity, then lost my show, had my show canceled like a year later. Went through a year of really deep depression because it's the end of your world when you know when you're 16. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. And then got the WCW call and really was hired there towards the end, the latter half of being 16, and really from 17 to 20 was when I was really on the road, uh, you know, on and off at that at that level. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you know I've had a, just a very odd sort of different run i'm not remotely naive that it's sort of the exception and not the rule to a large level yeah that's incredibly ambitious for someone around that age what was your motivation behind that you know i it's funny i you know if i if i was if i had to point to anything that was the turning point in terms of my thinking i was i was always an ambitious little kid Mm -hmm. and i mean as long as i can remember and i mean like 
three years old, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go make movies, and I want. I loved superheroes, and I'm just, I just always loved what I loved. And when I was eight or nine years old, I was at a dinner party that my parents just happened to be at where um, I was seated next to a gentleman by the name of Max Shea, who is the father of Bob Shea, who founded uh, New Line Cinema and built the company over 40 years. And um, I was a precocious kid, and I was already still somewhat entertainment savvy, and I suppose understood networking before I knew what networking actually was. But I sort of charmed Max and and ended up making a wager with him that night at the dinner over the very short-lived Nightmare on Elm Street TV series called Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah. Uh, I won the bet, and as a result of winning the bet, he had to get uh, send my Nightmare on Elm Street ideas to Bob and get me autographed Elm Street posters and stuff. And <laughs> nice. so That's he great. honored the bet, and like a month later, I got a package from Bob Shea with autographed posters and a note, which I literally I have framed. I'm looking at it right now on my wall, uh, basically saying like, hey, you know, someday – Son, I'll you know I hope to be able to hire you as a full fledged Freddy creator. Totally blowing smoke up my ass, obviously. <laughs> uh, but that was it. The blinders were on, and even working for WWFN to WCW on down. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were guys that worked with me at WCW that will tell you. I mean, I was very vocal. I'm going to New Line Cinema, uh, and by that point, even by the time I was a freshman in high school, it became I'm going to New Line Cinema. I mean, I would draw movie posters as a kid mm-hmm. and put New Line logos in them. So that was mm-hmm. just like Bob Shea would produce the movies. I still have some of this stuff. And uh, when I was about freshman in high school, it became I'm going to New Line Cinema and I'm going to make Freddy versus Jason, and that's going right. to be my first movie. And you know, uh, just through some works damned if it didn't work out that way so just uh yeah. i just always you know look i i sacrificed i certainly like i was a kid and i don't know that like people that would be wrestling fans would consider it that much of a sacrifice <laughs> but you know to go on uh, a wcw pay-per-view trip you know while my friends are on spring break sure. uh you know that was the trade-off you made and it, you know uh, oh you know uh, i have to miss monday in high school to go fly to here that was the trade-off. Now, but it's a trade-off I think a lot of people would have made. <laughs> yeah. But you, know, you do you give that stuff up, and I can certainly tell you. I mean, like uh, you know, I dropped out of college my freshman year to come out to L.A. and and sort of just go for it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had to leave a girl behind, and I had to you know, you make these choices. My my, you know, no, I can't focus on being a kid in the same way. But but those are trades I would make a thousand times out of a thousand. Yeah, Yeah. it's quite unique that you had such um, ambitious career goals as a child. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I just wanted to be a superhero. But nobody was (laughs) dressed up like a Ninja Turtle and ran around like a lunatic. Maybe. Um, (laughs) So your time in WCW, what were you doing when you were over there? Kind of a jack of all trades. When I was first hired, like I said, they called me. Uh, and I had really was in a sort of dark place. So, you know, at the end, when you're 16 years old, everything's the end of your world. And so the idea yeah. that I had gone from being uh, on the Today Show and you know getting these this sort of press on the cover of newspapers to now being like, ugh, I'm 16, my girlfriend's left me, I've you know I've peaked. How am I ever going to top this? <laughs> uh, uh, you know. It, through that period, I had kept contact with a gentleman by the name of Zane Bresloff, who is sort of one of the quiet. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. It was a, a hugely influential guy behind the scenes in the wrestling business over the years, and uh, really an, to an underrated level. People that follow the business don't understand how integral he was to both WWF and WCW mm-hmm. in their key eras. And uh, you know, he and I kept in touch, and and 
Eric Bischoff knew who I was because they, they, I had done some stuff for them when they were in Detroit because mm-hmm. I was, at the time, the only one in town uh, on the radio that would promote them. It was a cold time, and they were number two in, in what was a cold genre. Yeah. And uh, basically ended up getting flown in. I was, like I said, 16. They wouldn't fly me in by myself because I was too young, so my mom had to fly in with me. Uh, flew in and out of Atlanta in a day just to have the meeting with Eric on their dime and was originally hired because they were going to do a almost kind of Double Dare kind of almost a mix of Double Dare and American Gladiators for kids that sort of game show with the WCW guys that never ended up happening. Oh. But basically, through that, ended up doing stuff like the Hotline, doing some writing behind the scenes, doing website stuff, and then ultimately settling in and becoming a play-by-play guy in what was at the time a very nascent concept, which was doing internet streaming play-by-play, which, as it happened, was a, a big success for WCW yeah. and actually became the most popular popular broadcast on a thing called broadcast.com, uh, the owner of which uh, promptly sold that site to, I think it was Yahoo, made a, a couple billion dollars, and his name is Mark Cuban, and he is, you know, oh now the, the wow. NBA <laughs> champion owner of yeah. the uh, Mavericks. Yeah. So it's that's what, when you look at why Mark Cuban's had a loyalty to wrestling over the years, it's very mm-hmm. similar to Ted Turner, where he was a fan of it anyway. It was something he had watched, but he was, I think, very unabashed that, you know, that had played a key role in building. You know, he was, he was streaming before streaming was cool 15 years before it you know uh what you what you guys do with your podcasts and stuff like that now he was way ahead of the curve on Mm. so it was a cool time to be there he was right in the middle of the monday night wars and you know uh i just got a chance to sort of run the gamut while also coming home and, and literally like being in high school four days a week and flying out and it was just it was a wild great experience Excellent. What was like the uh, backstage atmosphere like? Because you hear so many, you know, rumors and, you know, hearsay online about the WCW backstage. You know, was it as bad as they say it was? Yeah, I got to tell you, man, I was treated tremendously well. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I get asked this question all the time, and I'm confident it went on because clearly, like, look, I mean, I had friends who complained about the politics, certainly, mm-hmm. and we all followed the business. And we knew yeah. it, okay? And again, if it, everything was hunky dory at the end of the day, the, that company would still be in business. Yep. But um, I, I was accepted from the jump. I have to say, I was never hazed, I was never wow. pranked, I was treated with respect. I was treated like one of the boys. I made relationships that I have kept to this day. And I think at some level it may have been that, okay, I was a, a Bischoff hire and that politically maybe they went screw with me. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think so. I think I, I befriended the NWO guys my first pay-per-view in. Mm-hmm. which was right when they had just become the NWO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nash and I just sort of hit it off. And then it was just, you know, I, I, it was very similar to how I was in high school mm-hmm. at a certain level, where when I was in high school, I was the sort of kid who was like, I was friends with the most of the popular kids, mm-hmm. but I also treated outcasts with respect, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, also not considering myself like, you know, I'd hang out with the popular, but it wasn't like my normal group. I had my group of friends that was kind of in the middle spot, but that was how I operated. And I sort of did the same thing where it was like the NWO guys liked me. And then the guys, you know, who at the time were the Jerichos and Benoit's and Eddie's that were coming in with frustrations liked me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, look, I, I, you treat people nicely. It's a, it's a right. real, it's not rocket science yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> you treat people with respect, you treat them nicely, you treat them straight. Like, generally speaking, and you have a good sense of humor. And frankly, in that environment, if you, if you don't take yourself too seriously and can crack a joke, 
on yourself just as quickly as you can bust it on another person, you'll survive. You can't laugh at stuff. I mean, I, what it really gave me at a certain level was it developed a certain even keel towards approaching the ups and downs and craziness and, and twists and turns of business uh, in a way that I would apply later when I got to Hollywood. But I just It was the best training for me for going to the movie business you ever could have imagined. And so despite all the horror stories you hear, I had a, a uniformly positive experience. In a lot of ways, I never would have had whatever arguable success I've had in Los Angeles mm-hmm. without the three years I had in that company. And without getting you into trouble or anything, any, any funny backstage stories from WCW? Nothing to uh... – Yeah, I'm trying to think what the best – I mean there's tons of that stuff. Um, I'm sure the ribbing was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I have to say like for me the memories, the best memories are being at the bar after the show. Uh, and particularly because when I started, I was 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. At that point, it's like, you know, anyone in high school, you're, you know, my parents were pretty cool. My parents' attitude was like, look, we know you're going to drink, just don't drive. And if you're, you know, call us. Uh, they weren't stupid, sort of, in terms of what kids were doing. And I have to say that at a certain level, I think the fact that I hung out with the guys at the bar also and would drink with them, and it was never even second guessed, you know, that sort of thing, I think. I think also, you know, made me kind of, they, they, you bond at a certain level like that. It's where you go shoot the shit and, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, uh, probably if I had to look at a, 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 a quick anecdote, one that I remember very vividly, is my parents came into a show, uh, Starcade was on my 18th birthday. Uh, and in fact, Mark Madden, who was my co-host on the internet stuff at mm-hmm. the time, has the same birthday, oh, who was wow. 18 years older than I was, as a matter of fact. <laughs> uh, and we were just like freaked out by that. Uh, and, you know, and Mark, I like Mark. Mark's a good guy. Yeah. But we, we, um, uh, we sat, we, we did the thing, and my parents come and fly down, and so I got them backstage passes. They're wandering around, and like mean jeans flirting with my mom. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I love jeans, so I yeah. can accept that. Uh, how many guys can say they've uh, had that happen? And, yeah. you know, you go to birthday dinner, and the only thing open is Hooters, so my parents take me to Hooters for my 18th birthday. But I remember being back at the bar. And two things I vividly remember from this, uh, and my parents having a great time at it. We're back at the bar, and I want to say it was like a four points or something in Nashville, something like that, Sheridan. And uh, we, we, we go up to the bar, and A, um, Benoit and Nancy had just started that hanging out thing. Mm-hmm. So they were making out. It was the first time I had seen it. <laughs> And I remember, um, Terry, I think it was Terry Taylor. We're sitting at the bar at a table, and somehow it ends up with it's me, my parents, <laughs> Terry Taylor, Ted DiBiase, Mark. Man, like people were coming in and out all night. So my parents are social people; they had a good time. But I remember like Terry Taylor going like, "Live in the gimmick, man. Live in the gimmick." <laughs> and the best story is we're sitting there around the table and Ted DiBiase tells a story that I will not name the talent involved. I think mm-hmm. most people that are hardcore fans probably know the story about how Ted DiBiase had a chance, basically was in the running to be one of two men to win the NWA title, but uh, did not get it because basically the promoter at the time, uh, who also remained nameless, brought DiBiase and another talent in and was basically, I think I think it was something along the lines of like, look guys, uh, one of you is going to be the, the world heavyweight champion it's going to be the one of you that blows me. Oh. Or vice versa, or, or, or is blown, I forget which. Um, and, and I remember someone, I think my question unintentionally speaking to Ted DiBiase, so did he get the push? And, and, was, uh, and so, I mean, 
I have to say that it was when I was there. Look, I wasn't there when the, I was already in LA when stuff really went downhill. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't have it colored by that. I was there when we were they were winning for like eighty two weeks in a row. I was in that period. Um, so it, it was. Uh, it was a great time. It, 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 I got to be sort of almost famous. Uh, it, it, you know, if you've seen that film, mm-hmm. I got to live the wrestling version of that. That's, that's really yeah, cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how can you complain about it? Oh, yeah. Now you progressed from wrestling right into Hollywood, correct? Yeah. In fact, the first paycheck I got working for Turner, I got a subscription to Variety. And so I was growing up in Detroit and I would get like every week and a half these things would come late. But I I was a, you know, I'd like to think a student of that business going way back, as I said, to, you know, very as long as I can remember. And it was always the direction. Yeah. Now, uh, one of our co-hosts here, Mike, is a huge horror movie fan. Oh, yeah. And uh, just wanted to express his love for a certain film of yours. Too. Oh, yeah. Freddy versus Jason, without a doubt. I mean, I, I, oh. I'm pretty sure I, I pissed my pants when I saw the trailer in the theater watching. <laughs> was it? it played uh, before Terminator 3, and I just freaked out. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, growing up, I watched my dad and I would sit there watching the slasher films, watching Jason, watching Freddy. And then to see it actually come true on screen was just, you know, mind blowing. And I personally think that the film couldn't have been any better than it was. I mean, the script and the acting, you know, was exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, I mean, look, there are things I don't. I don't like any of my movies. I don't watch my <laughs> stuff after the fact uh, because I just will nitpick it to death, and it's right. just impossible. You can't win. It's like it's like sending your kids off to college. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you just hope they don't get drunk and fall out the dorm window. <laughs> yeah, and, you know. Uh, and so right. you know, there are always things I'd like to do different. Again, the mm. fact is, guys, you have varying levels of control. So it's mm. like my most successful movie is Wolverine, yet it's the one I have the least, like my hand, most handcuffed on yeah. to the point to where I quit because I was like, you're not going to listen to me and I know I'm right I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit there and go take the bullet for you if you won't I'm happy to take bullets of my own making when you won't listen to me there's no point the advantage with like FVJ was even before I was an official executive they were saying to me like what do you think in terms of the look what do you, I mean I was yeah. allowed to give notes and, and the, to a large level Mike DeLuca deserves credit for that but also Toby Emmerich and Stokely Chaffin when they came in and took over mm-hmm. for having you know this the sort of comfort in their own skin to let someone at the time who was not even an executive but everyone knew and the company was a hardcore fan get in there and, and do it and I think that at the end of the day mm-hmm. uh, you know the biggest thing for me is I think it delivers on the classic iconography of those characters which yeah. is important while honoring the continuity which to me is the biggest thing yeah, I, right. one thing about and I think horror fans and wrestling fans are very similar and I think comic book fans fit in this as well uh, and, and that is they just want some continuity. If you give, they don't, they don't have to be crazy. Right. Okay, yeah. it doesn't have to be Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. But they, if you just give them a little bit of respect for continuity, they'll love you for it. Yeah. And and I think that when you look at the frustrations with the X Men franchise in general uh, over the years, is that its continuity doesn't make any exactly. sense. And I just having worked there, it's just that's not something that they're concerned about. Like they like uh, how these pieces match up in a larger storytelling tapestry is just not a concern. Yeah. And and I think that for me, I tried to do stuff in the genre that spoke to continuity. It's why had we you know when we were going to do a sequel, the sequel we explored was Freddy, Jason, Ash, yeah. because that actually has existing continuity yeah. mm-hmm. and a device to bring those three things together. Thanks mm-hmm. to, to Jason goes to hell the last exactly. Of yep, that's the first thing I thought when I saw that movie when the the, the book comes up. And it's like, oh my god! Yeah. Like I I, I was this? preaching to do that when I started as an intern. It was the fact. Well, I'm very proud of the fact that even though we couldn't get the movie deal done and we tried 
for two years and mm-hmm. negotiated back and forth forever. And it's just the, it's just the nature of the beast. It's what happens. Yeah. I'm very proud of the fact that that concept uh, has, you know, which I, I take, you know, it's, it's been my baby, mm-hmm. has had the life it's had after where both the comic series have been incredibly successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned if you see some licensing eventually probably driven off of that. Nice. And, you know, Freddie Jason Ash to me now is almost like kind of where Alien versus Predator was before they actually made it into a movie, mm-hmm. if you remember. Yeah. Like, like Dark Horse used to run those and that was an actual thing. So I'm very proud of that. And mm-hmm. in a weird way, the, I use FVJ and then the two Freddie Jason Ash books as kind of my personal trilogy. And in mm-hmm, a weird way, yeah. because they've rebooted both Friday and Nightmare, yep. I'm very proud to, A, have been able to have done the last kind of classic yeah. you know, with, with Robert and that whole thing. And also, frankly, it's been the, the, the most successful. So it's... it's uh, uh, you know, to have your first movie come out and you had the highest... We had the highest horror opening of all time when it opened, wow. which is, I mean... Pretty, pretty damn cool to have your childhood dream movie. In fact, you, you mentioned seeing the trailer. The trailer debuted in front of the Matrix Reloaded, I think it was. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, I think it was the second Matrix. It's the second or third. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think second. Uh, and I went to go to the Century City Movie Theater to go. I, I love going around. When I have a movie come out, I'll just jump from theater to theater opening weekend to see how it plays, and that's the last I ever watch it, yeah. unless I happen like it's on cable and I flip through and I'll watch it for five minutes. <laughs> um, but I Going and doing that with trailers for your stuff's great because you can just see what's playing. Yeah. Mm. And so um, I'll never forget in front of the Matrix, the trailers were for Terminator Three, Last Samurai. Uh, I actually want to say Finding Nemo. If that was that, <laughs> I think it was. Um, Mission Imp- No, not it was, oh, no. Tom Cruise's Last Samurai. Uh, and one or two Underworld. I want to say, and like one or yeah. two other like successful summer blockbusters and. I remember walking in into a it was a sold out theater and the guy in front of me had seen Matrix the night before and I said, Hey, out of curiosity, it was the Freddy versus Jason trailer in front. He goes, dude, played through the roof, got the biggest response. I think I'm like, yeah. Wow, really? Wow. He's like, it was bigger than Tom Cruise. And I was like, Wow. <laughs> yeah. So then the trailer thing starts, right? And you're going through in these trailers. I'm I think I'm forgetting literally a couple of big movies that were Pirates of the Caribbean, I think, yeah. like in the thing. And uh uh and basically Freddy versus Jason comes up and it's the last trailer. And the theater exploded to where, like, I yeah. got teary-eyed because it was like, oh, my God, we've got something. Mm. And the guy sitting in front of me that I talked to before turns around to me in the middle of the cheers <laughs> and goes, bigger than fucking Tom Cruise. <laughs> and I got <laughs> up and great. left, and it was done. So it was a pretty awesome experience. And, again, it's one of those things I could nitpick it to death as mm-hmm. I could with everything else, but I'm always very happy to hear that it's – it's you know, all you can ever hope is that these things find their audience. Like I yeah. said, when you send your kid to college, is hopefully they get a job and they can provide for themselves and their family and da 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 And it's nice to see them when they can go off and, and, and provide for themselves. Yeah. Do, do yeah. you want – with them being rebooted or the franchises, do you want to stay on board if they, can, if they do like a, a – Friday the 13th part well, yeah, 2 they've or done something. Nightmare on Elm Street already right. they've done Friday the 13th they're they've talking been, now about the Evil Dead reboot so that could right. bring that back is Freddy vs. Jason vs. Evil, evil, evil I gotta be honest with you guys I'm I'm remaked out the whole reason yeah. I oh, we are too we are is is I just found you know I, I I just was sitting there and I was all I was being allowed to look at was remakes yeah and um it's not why I got in the business like yeah. I love the original Fright Night mm-hmm. uh, oh me too I don't want to remake it. Yeah. I have friends that worked on the no. remake. I, I hope they do well. But I just it, it to me, I find that it's killing a lot of my interest in movies mm-hmm. in, yeah. to a certain. 
Yeah. Yeah. It totally I, is. I hate to say it, but it's No, true. you're absolutely right. I felt the same way. My sister and I were watching Fright Night. We DVR'd it. It was on. And then she went to see the, the remake. And she said it was okay, but she says the, the original was still. Yeah, you, you know, can't really ever approve yeah. on the original. Yeah. Well, um, it's just to me, it's sort of like, why not just give me an original? Here's the thing. I'll tell you what. I was at Comic-Con in July. And I, I did it very purposely this year where I just I've always do big productions. Or I just wanted to go sneak in and be a fan for the first time in like 10 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I snuck in for a day or two. And I walked the floor on a Thursday. And I have to say I thought it was depressing. <laughs> and why was it depressing? Because there's not a new original thing on the entire floor. Mm-hmm. It's all just karaoke culture. It's all just, you know, hey, you used to love this when you were 10. Yep. Now own it. And here's yeah. the new version of it. And I think we're in deep shit. I, what are you doing yeah. in five years? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's become like every medium now. I know. They're Everything's just, they're just running a circle. Pick a spot Car- in the 80s and just kind of follow through remaking yeah. everything up down the line, you know? That's the issue. Karaoke culture. The fact that Spider-Man is being rebooted uh, already to me is just yeah. such an indictment. Uh, whether it does well or not, mm-hmm. I'm indifferent to. But like, we're rebooting. Do people really need to see another Superman origin story? Isn't no. that the most shorthand origin that there is in our culture? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you think about the the whole DC reboot? I mean, they're rebooting their entire technically. You know, I've, I have a lot of friends involved mm-hmm. in it, so I, I wish them all well. I mean, I'm a DC guy more than I'm. I'm a 65, 35 DC to Marvel guy, yeah. probably growing up. I know those, both those universes pretty well. Um, you know, I have to be honest with you. I'll give it to the same end. I found my interest in the line waning once they brought Barry Allen back mm-hmm. as the Flash because it's the same you know. thing. It's, it's yeah. What, yeah. What's the point? Bringing Barry Allen back as the Flash is the same thing as remaking Nightmare on Elm Street to yep. me. Yeah. When, I, when in reality, you could have made a Robert England movie for half the budget mm-hmm. and made and double the profit. Yep. Uh, Wally West, like... If anything, stick with Bart and 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 fix that. Don't mm-hmm. to me Barry Allen for no good reason is just a step backwards. I don't get it. I've never understood. And I've said that to Jeff and Ethan, with who are, who are friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wish them well, but I have to say that personally speaking, I think I'll find myself reading less books, not more. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty much in the same. Yeah, mode. and Barry's one of the like his death was so iconic that it almost undoes a lot of it the impact every, yes, of what that was. Yes, it does. I think you're yeah. dead right. Again, if you build your brand on the idea that, um, okay, if the difference if you're DC and you say the difference between us and Marvel is that we, our continuity is, we acknowledge it's complicated, but that it is, the continuity is the sort of like uh, structure with which we hold up our entire universe. The minute you undo that, and particularly I think a lot of people like, I grew up with Wally West. Mm-hmm. I literally grew up as he grew up at a certain level. And uh, and that's fine that you can kill him and replace him. That's a, that's a generational thing. But I think in a weird way, it's not like Hal Jordan where it was like, wow, the character was kind of done in some people's eyes a disservice and some people not. But mm-hmm. basically, it was a controversial thing. People had accepted Barry Allen's death. I don't believe there was a clamoring no. for Barry Allen to come back. And I think it's one of the issues why the Flash books have never recovered. Yeah, it's true. It's since that point, they've sort of been on a decline. And it was a, it was a hugely popular book when when mm-hmm. all of this shit started. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I don't get it. Uh, and so I wish them all well with it. I'll be frank with you. The entire thing is clearly mandated from the production end at Warner Brothers. You can see it in the log lines. Mm-hmm. Those are all totally Jeff Robinov at Warner Brothers approved. Not it's not a knock on Jeff. That's just business. Mm-hmm. It's what they do. Sure. So I'm I'm slightly cynical in terms of I I unfortunately know how the hamburger gets made. <laughs> so uh, so I'm slightly more cynical about eating it at a certain level. Absolutely. 
Um, it's, to, a, it's kind of the curse that comes with my background. To jump back into the Hollywood uh, frame of mind for a sec. Now, a, a producer in Hollywood is sometimes looked as a vague job description by the general populace. I'm not sure that the majority of people even know what the producer is really responsible for because it seems to have so many different roles. So how would you describe that role to somebody? Well, I think that that's accurate. It's it's got a thousand different meanings, and frankly, the, the the term itself has been progressively devalued, you know, over the last you know fifteen twenty mm-hmm. years at a certain level. In part because it's so you know you can toss out credits in such an easy form. Uh, in some cases, it's people that bring financing to projects, and mm-hmm. other cases, it's someone that might come as a result of a piece of talent attaching. In other, you know, they've got all it may be someone who literally you know connected two pieces, and that's their payoff. We don't want to pay you money we'll give you a credit it it there's all sorts of sort of functioning reasons so for me i was a studio executive and as it happened basically i'm a producer that sort of works in the employ of a studio to acquire content develop it attach talent get it greenlit and oversee it basically from inception all the way through to production and release Mm -hmm. uh and so you know you get a real over Sort of, it's a very strong position because you get to basically be there and control things, you know, in a level that a lot of other producers don't get to do. But it's there's no question; it's an incredibly nebulous term, and it's one of the things the Academy, by the way, has has struggled with uh, in terms of trying to limit, you know, the 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 number of people that are credited the Producers Guild. This is like a continuing issue, and has been for like a decade. Um, because you can watch certain movies, and there's literally there's 15 producer credits. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, based on, I'll give you, I'll give you a quick, a quick example. Okay. Um, this is the greatest thing ever. So, um, I, so I'm a studio executive on snakes on a plane. I, I work on it from the minute it's like bought at new line until it's out. Like I'm pretty well associated with the project in town. Yep. Uh, I go to Fox. Uh, I'm in my office at Fox. I have my posters all up on the wall and I'm having a meeting with two ladies that are, uh, producers in town. And they come into the office and they see the snakes on a plane poster and they say, "Oh, why do you why do you have a snakes on a plane poster? Uh, that's our movie." And I said, "Oh, really?" And they go, "Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, we're producers." And yeah, they were two producers on the movie who I had never met in five years of overseeing the movie from development all the way to release. Wow! Didn't meet wow. them at the premiere. Wow. Didn't meet them anywhere. <laughs> they had no idea that I was their executive. So it really runs the gamut as far as how involved someone really is. There are so many different aspects. Yeah. You've got Scott Rudin and Jerry Bruckheimer and, and, and Mike DeLuca and, 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 the, and Lorenzo de Bonaventura and those guys. And then you've got all the way on down to the people that are like remoras on sharks. Wow. Uh, creatively, how, how much influence can you get or is that really dependent on the particular film you're working on? Wow, it varies. Normally, I would tell you that it is in the studio system much easier. But I found that at New Line, it was easy to do that. At Fox, it's a totally different process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's much more from the top down. You're basically told, you know, here's what you, you know, we want to do. And, you know, your opinion, it's great. You can have your opinion. We may give a shit one out of 10 times. Probably not. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, it, those, they were just different animals basically. And I think that frankly, a lot of it is also at a budgetary level. Uh, when a movie has to become something for a studio, part of the issue I think you deal with when I was at Fox was you had the writer's strike. And so you had movies now that couldn't be worked on for months that then also had to be rushed to make dates. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly they became, you know, if they're already cogs in a machine at some level there, they became even more so because of the circumstances. So it really varies. You're dealing with a lot of outside factors, and it depends on sometimes even the regime at the studio. 
Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> that kind of brings shows me... you how hard it is to go. Look, it's hard to make a shitty movie, let alone a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> just shows you the weird alchemy you kind of have to stumble into. That's true. And it seems like there are so many creative ideas thrown into the mix. And um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question because I know my audience wants to know. And it's in no way a jab at you, but in, okay. uh, in X-Men Origins Wolverine, what happened to Deadpool? Well, again, that's the whole reason I quit. So that's why I'm telling you this entire thing. But okay. I'll tell you exactly what happened is they, they didn't want to listen. Uh, and, the, and, only and, reason, the only reason he gets his mouth back – I'll give you a little history. Yeah, okay. I, at New Line, I didn't work on Blade 3, but Cale Boyer, who was a close friend of mine there, the executive and I, would just always swap ideas around. So as it happened, I got Triple H put in that movie, and Ryan Reynolds, who was sort of a new line kind of grown guy, and I just happened to get to know each other. Okay. And so Ryan Reynolds, and who has become a, you know been friends with for a while, and David Goyer, who was directing Blade 3, and I, basically looking at the fact that Ryan was stealing Blade 3, the premise became, all right, the right character for Ryan is Deadpool. Mm-hmm. He is tailor-made to be that character. Oh, yeah, he it's felt not like even Deadpool close. in Blade. It's, it was so it, similar. It's just perfect. It's it is. Ryan is. Ryan's not Green Lantern. He's fucking Deadpool. Oh, oh thank yeah. God. Thank <laughs> you so much for saying that. Uh, and so... Uh, I get hired at Fox, mm-hmm. and now again, we try to do it at New Line, and they decide instead of doing Deadpool, they want to make the Night Stalkers, which would have been the direct Blade sequel. Sure. Project never ends up going anywhere and falls apart. But Ryan falls in love with the character and just wants to do it. And so I go to Fox, and I'm hired at Fox, and I'm told that Wolverine is going to be a $70 million, almost R-rated uh, 70s revenge movie. That was what I was hired to come in and do. Mm-hmm. I was also told I was going to be making Marvel Civil War the movie. Oh, my God. All right, so we get there, and basically what ends up happening is they decide that by virtue of the writer strike and where the release date would have to, it was going to go from originally being like a a winter release to then a summer release, Mm -hmm. that now it has to be this like X-Men 4 hybrid. So suddenly they're saying we want Gambit in it, we want Emma Frost, even though it doesn't make any sense, etc. (laughs) So when they start coming down to the villain stuff, uh, originally, I want to say, like, Sabretooth was always in it, but I, I think there was, like, a clone element or some shit when mm-hmm. I first started. Um, but basically, they took Deadpool. The idea was always, okay, Ryan Reynolds is a good friend of mine. I can get him to come in for, like, two or three days, shoot this thing off as a cameo, and then you do the Deadpool movie, and it's a no-brainer, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. They decided they like the Deadpool name. And oh, that's it. God. They, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, they clearly created a character's yes. abilities around a so name. So we're sitting there, Kevin Feige and myself mm-hmm. and Derek Hoffman, who works for Dick Donner's company, going, guys, you're leaving so much money. It's like buying the WCW uh, library, uh, bringing it into WWE, and then not hiring Goldberg and Dallas Payne and the guys yep. that meant that Ric Flair and the guys that would have made it work. Mm-hmm. We're sitting there going, like, you're leaving money on the table. If you want to go take, like, Omega Red or whoever and do that, great and they they just ultimately didn't want to listen and so it literally came down to them going like we don't want a guy talking in the middle of the fight that's cheesy and i'm like well that's every action movie (laughs) ending ever and it almost became a thing about obstinance to be like we're going to show you that the the uh we're right the comic fans are wrong and it it doesn't matter and so in a fit of irony i'm sitting here and i'm still sitting on the location watching all this stuff go on and and ultimately came back and quit almost immediately because i knew the 
deal. I'm not going to mm-hmm. sit there and go, uh, yeah. guys, the name of the, the character under his name on the book says the Merc with a Mouth. Yeah. For God's sakes. You think I don't know? <laughs> so, uh, I get, and more importantly, I get Ryan to do this as a favor. Ryan's yeah. doing this for like no money. You have no idea. Okay. In the middle of shooting two other movies, might I add. Wow. Uh, because he's passionate about doing it. And might I add, when he's doing the stuff in the first act of the movie, he steals his shit. He's great. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's some of the it's some of the stuff that works in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'll tell you as a funny story. So I get up and I, I and you know and basically we have a meeting at a point in time in Australia. Just to give you a quick example, where um, there's like six of us in a trailer, and the head of the studio has come down, who is the big opponent of making Deadpool talk. And uh, I'm trying to describe to him like why this is going to have a, a fallout, and he says, No, 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 no. This is exactly how we deal with it. You'll love this. And this is what was pitched. <laughs> Uh, Wolverine walks to the door, door opens, it's like the Darth Maul reveal, and it's Deadpool, but he's got no mouth, right? And Wolverine looks at him and he says, gee, Wade, guess you're the merc without a mouth now. Oh, wah, wah, They're wah. gonna love it. <laughs> so I'm oh, like, we're God. fucked. Right? And so, <laughs> uh, so I basically, very quickly at that point, was like, I'm not, I, again, I have no issue going and falling on my sword for stuff I believe in. Mm-hmm. I, I refuse to fall on my sword for stuff I don't believe in. Right. And so I got back and put, while I was there, the second half of that shoot, put all uh, my wheels in motion to come back and resign. And basically said, no one quits those jobs, guys. And I'm, I'm one of the few guys that did it. Because I was like, I'm walking out. I'm not going to sit here and be asked to lie to my... Right. You know, remember, at the same time this is going on, I'm writing Booster Gold. Yep. So it's like, I'm you know, which is, if you know that space at all, that's a pretty arcane DC book to be writing yeah you have to be kind of a hardcore nerd to write that mm-hmm. book so it's to me sort of like i'm not gonna sit there and undercut my credibility by having to defend something i can't defend it's like look the fact that like they we uh, we i have lines at the end of where gambit was speaking in cage was was said laissez le bon roule and they cut it <laughs> so why, would, why would he do that yeah oh, no. that's what? It, I mean, literally, it became the sort of thing where they, they told us that we couldn't make it, which is ironic. And look, I set up X-Men First Class as well. Yeah. So in a weird way, I feel kind of vindicated because it's like uh, they they everything they did where they know they screwed the pooch on Wolverine, they adjusted to try to fix yeah. this. Like, they wouldn't let us be a period movie. They told us we couldn't define the period. <laughs> It had to be the not too distant past, so it was just bass backwards. They clearly know it now, obviously, because mm-hmm. again, I got the the scene after the credits where he gets his mouth back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I had put in six months after I quit the company, okay, and about a month before the movie came out. Wow, wow! I had to be shot it on the lot on on a Sunday in secret to put it back in, and I basically saved their ad. There's no Deadpool movie without that. Sure, and yeah. so I go to that premiere, and I'm getting my ass kissed all over the place. And it's just stupid because, again, it's, it's, it, you see it in a lot of decision-making all over the place. And a lot, I think a lot of times it's just hubris. Uh, contempt for your audience at a certain level or thinking you're smarter than them mm-hmm. is just always a mistake. And, and again, yeah. the thing that never made any, under, any sense to me was simply it just was never a good commercial decision. You have a guy who's an emerging movie star – uh, why wouldn't you want to put him in the best possible position to be a new a- extension of your franchise? Yeah, so absolutely. it just never made sense. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you're clearly a comic book fan. I mean, you've written them for Christ's sake. But uh, <laughs> as as fanboys that we definitely are in this room, I can't thank you enough for just keeping the integrity there between as much as you could and really control between the films and the comics. How often do you run into those like butting head situations where someone's like, ah, forget the source material. We're just going to give you an example, this. actually, a quick one from I'll give you another Wolverine quick one. Um, beating the movie, I quite like. And again, I don't rewatch. See it once in the theater. And I don't rewatch no. the stuff. But there's a beat where he's being recruited by Stryker, and he gets in the car and he says, "Logan, your country needs you." And Logan goes, "I'm Canadian," and drives off. Right? <laughs> right. Which, which was my line. I'm very proud of that line. I think it's a good line. Absolutely. Okay. I had to fight to keep that line in, like in the script. Once it was in the movie, and they saw it, and Hugh gave a great read of it. It was great. But like, they wanted to cut that. Oh. They said he could chew a cigar but not smoke it. Unbelievable. Oh, what a pain in the ass. Next thing they yeah, had cut so out that's Bob's like or something. Just, with, stuff like it's just, this. It's, and that to me was the thing. I was like, I'm not going to sit. I didn't get into the business to go and make sausage. just mm-hmm. wasn't why I did. Like, say what you want about the stuff that I make, but like steaks on a plane, shoot on that's just not high art, but it's at least original. Absolutely. When you and and I, I got into the business with the idea that I'd rather be fired for making original stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, look, I was sent to Australia and New Zealand on that movie if, if, on less than 24 hours notice for four months. Uh, it was just wow. crazy. It was nuts. When you, when you run into those situations where you're butting heads, does it just take the love for that, for that business right out of you? Uh, yeah, I think that that's fair. I, you know, I'd love to tell you no, but for me, I think that it just, I think also, frankly, just the business had moved in a direction where it was going to become so sort of remake mm-hmm. and, and pre-exist, pre-awareness driven where I love a lot of that stuff. But again, like, yeah. as I said, like, I love Fright Night. That doesn't mean I want to go remake it. Right. Yeah. You know? And so to me, I, the job is hard enough as it is. I, as an example, my friend uh, Mark Restigini, who was an exec at Fox with me at the time and now works for uh, the former heads of DreamWorks, mm-hmm. uh, he had just gotten married and was about to go on his honeymoon. And they said, you can't go on your honeymoon. <laughs> uh, we need you to go to wow. New Zealand and oversee aliens in the attic for the next three months. Uh, of course. <laughs> he gets sent down yeah. to go oversee aliens in the attic. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, – Misses his honeymoon, his newlywed phase, etc. Uh, comes back, is promptly told he's working too hard on Aliens in the Attic and should focus on his other projects, and is then fired. Unbelievable. So that is, or I'll give you, can I give you one other good quick yeah, one? I think you guys will like. Of course. Okay. So all I am told while we're doing the movie is follow the previs, follow the previs, follow the previs. Now, if previs is, we'll do computer renderings of major set pieces and action scenes and so on, and which will then progressively be cut further and further for budget, which is another issue you run into. Uh, and so we have this fight in an alley where in the previs, uh, Logan's got to take Sabretooth and like stick him against this blue pickup truck. Mm-hmm. So, like, three in the morning in Australia or something, my phone rings. I wake up. I thought it was my wake-up call. I pick up, and it's the studio going, we have a huge emergency. We have a huge problem. You need to get up now. Okay, what is it? We just got dailies of the alley scene, and the alley is dirty. It's dingy. Uh, I'm like, it's an alley. (laughs) (laughs) And more importantly, the blue pickup truck is too dingy. And it's it's literally the exact pickup truck that is in the uh, pre-visualization, right? Yeah. yeah. So we are now dragged to an all-hands-on-deck meeting, me and Ralph Winter, who's also down there producing the thing, and told, 
We need to reshoot this scene. We need to get a cool truck. We need to be looking at samples. And we are literally spending, we spend three or four days freaking the hell out trying to find this new truck, which again, we've matched the truck from the previous, which is all we've been told to do, right? Oh God, it's a panic. It's a panic. It's a panic. It's a panic, right? Yeah. Uh, We finally find, they say, here's the kind of truck we want, right? We find the one example that matches the truck on all of Australia, Okay, we find it. We begin preparations to bring it over. The day after, they change their mind. They go, you know what? Scrap yeah. the truck altogether. That truck's not cool enough. Unbelievable! Wow. Four days wasted, hours of manpower, money spent for what? Unbelievable. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it, the 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 decisions you see. I I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it, something like that feels like it would be commercially influence like a product placement type thing they want a certain truck here but it doesn't even sound like it was that it was just look the marketing stuff's easy i love the marketing tony sell and the marketing guys fine i love the people at fox look at the end of the day did not have to let me out of my contract they could have said you're going to timbuktu for another year to go make aliens in the attic <laughs> two and three sure, okay sure. uh they they did not have to let me out uh and so i, mean, I went to them and i left on good terms which is i think also what you got to you have to be smart about how you handle that yeah, stuff right. but at the same time the marketing background they're incredible well, they're the best marketing I've ever been around to a large level. And what you learn is about getting the five moments I haven't seen before in a movie trailer. And I mean, you look at like Wolverine, the shot of him on the bike, missile hits the bike, he goes Michael Jordaning through the air to go cut the fucking rotors off. <laughs> yeah. Like that was the end of every television spot. Yep. Yep. And everyone remembers it. Absolutely. And so that's the stuff that you do. It's like it's it's the first time you see Neo go under bullet time in the Matrix trailer in front of the Super oh, Bowl. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's that sort of thinking. So, again, you actually get a lot of positive out of those harder production experiences, as crazy mm-hmm. as it sounds. That's where you learn. And so I was I always looked at it generally like even when we were in the middle of it as though this is actually one of the best things that could ever happen. Because, by the way, through all the insanity, we brought that movie in on time and under budget. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and the irony is, and again, you got to remember, guys, it's all relative to cost because let's sure. compare it. So we come out and then Star Trek, I think, is out the week later. Star Trek just beats us in terms of worldwide box office, I think about 20 million, something like that. Um, but you got to remember, one movie's made for 165, the other's made for like 225, 230. Right, right. Wow. And that's the key. And that's where, to Fox's credit, they are usually very good about containing those costs in a way that other studios like Universal and others will bloat. So there's there's all these factors that go into it. It's 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 it just is a sort of alchemy to get these things to where they work. You just kind of catch lightning in a bottle. But that's that's it's 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 like golf and hitting a good shot or gambling it's you get the one taste yeah. and it makes you want to go back sure um as we uh start to i don't want to go too much before we start promoting your next project so as we get into that and start talking about wrestling revolution we have a game we like to play on the show uh here sure. called top three uh basically i'm going to give you a category and you can give me the top three that satisfy the category in no particular order because why make you think that too that much <laughs> um, okay uh, the top three category we had in mind, since you're such a huge wrestling fan and have had uh, experience in the field and everything, what would be your top three moments in professional wrestling that you saw? Things that you saw televised that you thought were just like, wow, they pulled that off. Well, if I'm going to give you that, are probably the ones that are probably mean the most to me personally, yeah. realistically, oh, because you could do like yeah. the business ones you're gonna, are going to be always obvious because they're the ones that spawned big yeah. business things. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Personally speaking... Okay, this is what's the best. So, 
it's weird because a few of them that were the ones that I would have told you a few years ago were, would have are the easy number one or two mm-hmm. for me have been kind of ruined, which is weird because mm-hmm. in fact they've all been kind of ruined, which I suppose is part of my frustration with the wrestling business because <laughs> the ones that meant the most to me personally in a lot of ways were the end of WrestleMania 20 with Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, mm, that which is, is ru- ruined yeah. for obvious reasons. Yep, yep. Uh, but those were my guys and I was close to them both and it was just an incredibly, I mean, I, I, I cried watching it. I have no shame saying it yeah uh the second for me weirdly was probably rick flair's retirement ceremony which has also been ruined for obvious reasons yeah, uh, uh, yeah. and the third most recently which was ruined and set me off to then go do wrp uh was when my friend jay riso who plays christian won the belt as a good guy only to have it sort of you know uh taken a night later and ultimately yeah. you know for his character fine he gets to go do a good heel run with randy orton but they took what was a really genuine emotional yeah. moment and to me kind of ruined it uh and so in a weird way it's my dissatisfaction maybe with all of that stuff that makes me go you know what i'm gonna go in my corner and do my own thing <laughs> yeah and and, and that's the most depressing top three ever. <laughs> uh, okay. And yeah, we're we're right on board with you because I mean we're yeah. we're huge wrestling fans. Just to give us a basis, Brian has been watching wrestling his entire life. Probably knows more about the the whole yeah, um, um, TV aspect than any of us. Yeah, myself and Mike have actually been wrestling on the independent circuit. I'm in seven years now. Mike, you're in what six? Yeah, and Mike and I are a tag team right now. So you know, if you're looking for any guys, but. <laughs> what's your gimmick? Um, right now, I, I wear a mask, um, and Mike does as well. They're actually designed by the same guy that did Kane's, yeah. um, Max Empire. Uh, we're we're kind of like a almost superhero-ish type team, not quite Hurricane, a little more serious. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of we're kind of like a dark superhero type thing. What's the, what's the name of it? Uh, the team name is Heaven's Fury. Uh, my name is the Night Angel, and he is Cenobite. So it's a little bit Azrael, or oh, Cenobite, so a little bit Clive Barker kind exactly. of. Uh, oh, yeah. finally, almost, almost Legion got Fallen Angel-ish kind of deal. Yeah, yeah exactly. a little bit, a little bit. So, you know, I got you. If, I got if, you. You need it, we, if you need extras or something, we're here. Good job. <laughs> I always need extra cast, uh, as you'll find. We'll, we'll be putting out something for people shortly, actually. Excellent. So, so let's talk about Wrestling Revolution. Um, this concept alone is... Awesome. I mean, we've been dissolution and uh, we've we've expressed our disinterest in the business. Granted, the CM Punk stuff lately is amazing, um, but lately it's been so stale. And clearly, yeah. you felt the same way. Hence, starting the Kickstarter dot com thing. Now that blew up. Were you expecting that kind of a reaction? No. I mean, this thing all happened by accident, which is sort of the fun stupidity of it. Uh, and I say that with love. Uh, <laughs> This I just got so, everyone was so pissed off after the Christian thing yeah. went down, and I get so annoyed at a certain level because one thing I'll tell you a Fox thing that they get that they're not wrong about mm-hmm. okay but when 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 Fox says to you you know the comic fans are coming anyway they're actually right mm-hmm. all right and it sucks but they're right and and even you know even Wolverine or Green Lantern with all of their issues still get to numbers that a lot of other movies the guys who have Fright Night would kill for the box office numbers yeah. on both of those sure. times they, Green Lantern's viewed as a big money loser and disappointment yet if you were Fright Night with your budget you take it in a heartbeat mm-hmm. uh, and, and say thank you can I have some more <laughs> uh, and so I think that um, 
in a weird way, I just wanted to sort of say to people, look, you guys, you vote with your dollar. If mm-hmm. you just piss and moan and then show up and watch again yeah. on Monday or by the next show, you're, you're proving their point. You're coming anyway. And, and I just had had, really, if I think about it, years of frustration to where I realized I was watching. Because I think the Christian thing, well, it sort of kicked me off my chair, was really just the, bre- the, the breaking point after months, after, after, month upon month upon month upon oh, yeah, month yeah. upon month of dissatisfaction. And, and what I realized was that I was watching out of force of habit more than anything else because it's just what I always was what I did on Monday nights. It was yep, my routine. Absolutely. It's like, it's like yep. bowling nights Wednesday, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, Thursday's lasagna night. You know? <laughs> uh, and uh, I, at the same time, uh, that I was forgiving wrestling for storytelling holes and faults and laziness that I just would never forgive any other show for. I just wouldn't put up with it from any other show ever Mm -hmm. in any other genre of entertainment. I wouldn't put up from it from movie, TV, a comic, anything. And so in looking at this, that sort of started to crystallize for me, and I said, "You know what? There is another model with which to go do this." And I just, as a quick aside, you know, I I, I took a lot of rest the wrestling off my DVR, and I have to say, I think I have become. I, I actually, as it happens, got a call. My buddy David Ortiz works with Vin Diesel. Uh, called me last Sunday and said, "Hey, I have an ex- I have I have a ticket for SummerSlam. I don't need it. Do you want it?" And I'm like, "You know, I have not watched wrestling in three months. It's the biggest break I've taken ever." Uh, I'll, let's go. I'll go sneak in and go at the very minimum, see if I miss it. Mm-hmm. And I go to the show, frankly, spend the entire time videotaping camera setups and looking at key crew stuff and stuff like that, which was I'm the only one there videotaping cameramen. <laughs> uh, and uh, I have to say, well, it was great to watch Jay, and I have a lot of friends that work up there, so mm-hmm. it's always fun to watch my friends perform. Uh, I didn't watch Raw the next night, and I didn't add it back on my DVR. And I have to say, I think I've become... That fan that will probably buy WrestleMania, maybe the Royal Rumble, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. And uh, I just think that that's where I am as mm-hmm. a as a maybe as an adult or a viewer or whatever. I'm, that's not to say that you know suddenly if they turned into the hottest thing ever, I'd come back. But even frankly, the CM Punk stuff, he's an incredible talent. He's mm-hmm. a very oh, nice yeah. guy. We were at the same table at Samoa Joe's wedding. A wonderful guy. Obviously, huge comic fan by the way too. Uh, and he's clearly obviously a breath of fresh air i've seen his stuff on youtube and i've watched sort of what went on but i think they made a big mistake Mm -hmm. uh they had an opportunity to do something so outside the box and kind of meta and it was catching fire and the minute you bring him back and have him walk down the aisle Mm -hmm. as a re-signed guy Mm -hmm. i just think that's gone and the reason i say that is it's like howard stern howard stern pisses and moans now about his deal at sirius right here's the problem your contract was up. You just re- renegotiated a new five-year deal. So you didn't have to re-sign it serious. You could have gone, started your own online podcast network and done quite well and owned everything. Which we would have loved because the medium would have blown up. <laughs> right. Uh, and so um, you kind of waive your right to piss and moan at a certain level to me. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, had you kept him as the the unheralded renegade champion uh, wow. who kept showing up like Where's Waldo in all of these spots. Yeah. I really think you could have continued that viral thing in a way that would have been written about as an internet meme and as an outside-the-box thing. You could have punk-rolled people. You could have them show up in the <laughs> middle of other people's pop culture shit. Like That's a pretty good idea, I think. And um, the Comic-Con thing is an example. Oh, and, yeah. and I think that the minute you have him come back out as just another WWE guy, I think progressively the steam gets let out. And from what I've heard from people 
anecdotally, it seems like that's sort of in the ether a little bit. That like he's still great, but it's lost a bit of steam. Yeah, I am mean, I wrong uh, on that? No, no, I mean I was at the Comic Con panel when he came in, and that was like such a moment that I will never forget. He was because he, you know, half the people really believed that he wasn't with the company anymore, and it was such a hot. That's why thing. it worked. Yeah, exactly. And then the second you, like you said, the second you bring him back, it's back to like pretty much basics again. And now he, you know, he he's he's a little higher than he used to be and hotter, but you know, it's still going to be eventually it's going to wear off. And the, yeah. the, the, well, so. it's Austin, and they're, really they're doing Austin McMahon again. Yeah, exactly. So I guess to me, in a certain way, I'm not as blown away by that. And again, I haven't watched all the shows, mm-hmm. so I am, and I, and I don't intend to. You, you uh, haven't really missed uh, much. <laughs> I have great respect for him. He's just an awesome talent. Oh, yeah. And you know, I hope I hope he does continue to catch fire because you, got, you have to understand. In my view, I'm I'm doing my I'm cutting the cord entirely. Uh, so to me. I wish all of these companies well. If they yeah. do well, it means I have an opportunity to maybe do more in my own little corner. Yeah. So I just don't – it's not 1983. It's not 1997. I don't believe you have to have that mentality. Yeah. I got one quick question before we get into sure. your wrestling revolution. Um, what are your thoughts on TNA and do you think they're too far gone now like to ever recapture any? I mean they seem to just keep making <sighs> – you know, I have a lot of friends that work yeah. there, and I like the people there very much. Um, I do think, look, I've, I've said to them in the past, I got shit for saying it. You can't win by trying to be WWE light. Exactly, There's just yeah. no point. What is the reason to exist? Uh, and so to me, at a certain level, um, I also think that, frankly, like, look, they've got a hardcore base that mm-hmm. is their floor. And as long as they can control their margins and program to that floor and have their TV deal or whatever, they're fine. But I do think that... Um, if you don't, it's like politics. If your base isn't passionate, how do you get out of the primary to get to the general? Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, and I don't know, uh, I think at a point in time you, you have a certain, uh, trust equity with an audience. And I think it's one of the things WWE's run into and why they've lost viewers as well. Where at a point in time, if the audience just goes, I can't trust you, WCW lost their, all their trust equity and they go out of business as a result. Yeah. I think that they are having an issue mm-hmm. to that. And again, guys, I haven't watched in months very intentionally. Mm-hmm. I really um, needed yeah. a break. And particularly as I was doing this creatively, yeah. didn't want to be influenced Obviously, by any, yeah. anyone else's stuff. Uh, so I can't comment on like the last, I haven't seen the Sting stuff, I've read about it and all yeah. that sort of stuff. I wish them all well, mm-hmm. um, but I understand the frustrations people have. I mean, look, I, I think when you, let's use a WWE example. When my understanding is, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Daniel Bryan wins Money in the Bank and then says, I'm going to be the first person ever to tell you when and where I'm going to cash it in and I'm doing it at WrestleMania, right? right? Exactly. Okay, now if I'm a viewer who actually has followed the business, the product, seriously, as they would want most customers to do, I'm your most loyal brand of mm-hmm. customer. The first thing I'm saying when I see that is, well, wait a minute, Mr. Kennedy did that, <laughs> and Rob Van Dam did right, that. Right, RVD. So yeah, all you're saying yeah. to me is that I take your continuity more seriously than the people that are there to be paid money to create the continuity, and that also that continuity apparently is not worth taking seriously and remembering, but now I'm supposed to take it seriously when CM Punk does what he does. Again, it's about rules, guys, and they've just destroyed their sense of rules to where when your storytelling universe doesn't have rules, you you really don't have anything. You don't have a foundation for your house, and I think it's it's like WWE doing dream sequences, which they did with Vince when he was in the coma. And these things, these are not these. These are against the the rules mm-hmm. that I think people understood the WWE programming to exist in. Mm-hmm. And to me, 
if you can't be bothered to honor your own continuity, why should I be bothered to invest? Absolutely. Perfectly said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with even just like a bad sci-fi movie or a series of them is that when you set up some sort of rule system, some sort of continuity, once you venture out of that and you break it, it's no longer, yes, we suspended disbelief to put ourselves in this sci-fi reality, but now you're going beyond the rules that you set up. So now what are we supposed to think? I'll give you, look, at the end of Wolverine, they shot a thing during the reshoots where William Stryker gets arrested. Well, he's working for the government in X2, so how does that happen? <laughs> right, right. Good right? point. <laughs> Very it true. It doesn't make any sense. Hey, Patrick Stewart comes to pick up the kids on the island, yet in X-Men First Class, the ages are... The what? Yeah, it so makes no it, sense. That's my point. It's, it's at the yeah. end of the day, you're basically say it suggests that they think a you're coming anyway b it's not really important and again guys it all speaks to what i think is really the issue at the end of the day which is the actual operational model of how they deliver their content is outdated and is actually rickety under the weight of where we are in terms of content distribution Mm -hmm. uh storytelling and and the audience and and that's the thing i just think it's part of this is the virtue of 52 weeks a year of programming where you don't have a complete three act structure and can't tell stories and yeah. do you guys do you guys actually trust that a they already know the ending that they want for the CM Punk story? No. God no. No, I mean okay. they they messed up yeah. If you do trust that, can I ask you who's the mystery GM? Yeah, they dropped that completely. <laughs> yeah, they never even yeah. finished the Nexus storyline. Who was behind the Nexus? They they Vince McMahon came out of the coma and didn't even yeah. swear revenge. They were still on his show. He didn't fire him. Nope. Yep. So yeah. how am I supposed to take it seriously mm-hmm. when yeah. Vince Mc- when Vince McMahon is told you're fired? Not be- anyone ex- going to be stunned if Vince McMahon shows up on television in the next? No, season? not at all. No, not at all. No, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Exactly. They've gone so far beyond their own. So rules. I'm done. So yeah. that's my right. point. I just I, I have so many friends that work there. I wish them all well, but I just can't do it anymore. Right. I yeah. can't. Very understandably. And now into the new model of wrestling revolution. Now you're you're proposing a totally different delivery method than what the traditional wrestling fan is used to it's amazing to me that nobody's thought of this before because it seems it's genius i think as a wrestling fan who's also disillusioned with the product out there i think i'm in the very same position you are where i'm really only going to watch like wrestlemania and the royal rumble because they're just fun events but royal rumble only because i have people over and we do a drinking game and at least i know i'll get sauce (laughs) (laughs) yeah we actually we've we've come up with a game too where we like pick random numbers and have them come in and eliminations oh we just do it every time someone comes in you drink every time someone gets thrown out (laughs) and then the day of we make arcane rules so if like a big man gets on a tear throwing like five guys in a row out you have a number of drinks every time someone skins the cat you have to drink you just get annihilated it's great nice so so wrestling revolution you're proposing now uh, a three-act story, more or less, and a set amount of uh, episodes within a season. And if I'm, tell me if I'm wrong, but the it's basically telling a story using professional wrestling as the vehicle for that storytelling. Yeah, oh, guys, all I'm doing this is not it's not rocket science, which is I think I you know it's, I think people kind of they look at it and they go, oh, <laughs> it's it's if you're in a story-driven medium, I don't care if it's film, television, comics, mm-hmm. whatever. Your basic genetics are driven by three-act structure. If you don't have three acts, you don't actually have a story. Right. You have an anecdote, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so 
all I did was say, let's take the wrestling television model I grew up on, mm-hmm. okay, which is if you walk, look at how WWF used to tape superstars or how WCW used to tape WCW Saturday night, mm-hmm. and let's mash it up with sort of A, independent filmmaking from a production point of view, but more importantly, kind of where television is at today. And yeah, what a crazy idea. Do this in a format where you guarantee people a complete three-act structure, a complete beginning, middle, and an end, and then use those seasons, if you're lucky enough to do more, to build on top of each other the same way The Wire does or The Sopranos or Mad Men on down. I mean, to me, that's just where television has gone. Mm -hmm. Um, I know when I, you know, I came to Dexter in like season three, the way I caught up on it was I went and got the DVDs on Netflix and I blitzed them in like two weeks. I got caught up. And that's how people operate now, be it on Netflix, Hulu, iTunes, On Demand, BitTorrent, whatever. And so to me, it was just like, let's just go and do this. Is Let's just do it basically under the premise if HBO or FX or Showtime said, we're going to approach wrestling as a genre of entertainment the same way comedy is a genre, drama is a genre. Because look, guys, everyone knows this is a work. Sure. I mean, come on. So I just don't want it. The same way I know that the superhero movie is a work, that doesn't mean I want the Viz Effects supervisor to come in in the middle of the movie and explain to me how he's doing everything. And oh, look, we covered <laughs> it. No, don't insult my intelligence. Right, Let me right. just shut my brain off, suspend my disbelief, and don't insult me for liking it. So it's it's really just about. A, kind of cutting the cord entirely from the Monday Night War, WWE, TNA, ECW, WC, from all of that, mm-hmm. and saying they exist in comic book terms. If they're in the Marvel Universe, I'm in the Ultimate Universe, or they're on Earth yep. 1, I'm on Earth 2, yeah. and I can go out and create an entirely new universe with new characters, new rules, and again, storytelling rules. That's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. Sure. And, and go off and have a universe that just like, you know... Alan Moore may return to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen universe when he when the mood strikes. I can do the same, and mm-hmm. so I'd love to be able to do more of these. Assuming this, I don't totally screw the pooch here, <laughs> but it's the sort of thing where you know it's 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 my own little sort of corner at a certain level that at the very minimum says we're going to apply the same storytelling rules that you expect held to every other television drama Mm -hmm. you watch Mm -hmm. and apply them to wrestling. Because the thing that drives me nuts that finally pushed me over was like WWE for years, their talking point is our competition is, you know, they used to say NYPD blue. Now they would say it's, you know, then there was 24 today would be pick your one hour drama of your choice. Uh, But they love to compare themselves to those things when they actually aren't remotely similar. And yeah. so all I'm saying is let's, taking that, let's take that talking point and actually put it to practice to its logical and inevitable conclusion and do it. And do it in the model of ultimately both A, where cable television and, and content is in terms of distribution and storytelling structure, mm-hmm. but also from a characterization point of view. You know, if you look at the last 10 years of television, you're talking about Don Draper, Tony Soprano, yeah. uh, uh, Vic Mackey, on down, mm-hmm. the Breaking Bad. They're all complicated, sort of three-dimensional, relevant to today characters mm-hmm. whereas like with respect he moves a ton of merchandise john cena is not a relevant to today character no no, no do you know anyone all. that wears jorts <laughs> <laughs> take a step further guys take a step further wwe introduced a spinner belt two years after bling bling culture had already peaked yeah and now here we are years later and they still have it right. so to me it's about i think you got to reflect culture mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. thing that punk understands is he's got he understands a certain segment of culture and can make it relevant mm-hmm. uh, i think you've got to do that and i just there's no point in doing this guys if it's just to say hey you just got fired by wwe i'm going to change your name a little exactly. and your music 10 notes and now you're going to do your wwe gimmick I, I, don't, yeah. I don't need to do this yeah. so i'm not going to waste my time if it's to go do that 
Yeah, yeah it right. was kind of kind of like ECW. Paul Heyman really did had the you know the the pulse on on like the you know where where the world was at that point and what where yep. you know that that's well, exa- Paul makes an effort. Paul's a friend of mine. Paul makes mm-hmm. an effort to still remain current. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that. Yeah, he was always had the, his pulse on what was popular, and that's why I think ECW was such a giant like you know cult type thing where people were just drawn to it. So yeah, and it seems like the big the big selling point here is something as simple as. Hey, we're giving you a payoff. Like WWE what a crazy prompt. idea. I know, right? <laughs> Who does you that might anymore? you might you might actually tell me the end of the story. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a clear goal in mind. I mean, WWE has these things that twist and turn and forget themselves along the way. Yeah. And you're making the simple promise of, "Hey, um you're, you're going to get something out of this when all is said and done. It's going to actually go somewhere." Well, also, I mean, look, keep in mind, guys, again, WWE's television structure, if WrestleMania is the end of your story, mm-hmm. technically speaking, well, here's the problem. The very next night, you're oh on God, for not yeah. an epilogue, <laughs> another complete chapter that starts everything over again. Yep. So I, I just think that in a weird way, the Monday Night Wars wrestling television to pay-per-view model is passe. Yeah. And I'm, I'm saying you guys enjoy that. Knock yourselves out mm-hmm. chasing that. I'm going to go in my little corner. And I'm going to go uh, – if, if they're making uh, Transformers and Harry Potter, I want to go off and make Moon. I want to go make District 9. I want to go yeah. make almost Paranormal Activity at a certain level Hell yeah. where, where it's just like I'm, I'm just not interested. I'm never going to compete with them yeah. on scale, spectacle, cash reserves, 35 years on television, brand and emotional equity, whatever. So don't even bother. Yeah. Why play that game? Yeah. Go do your own game. Yeah. So where are you with production on this now? We're deep into pre-production. Starting October, I announce the first cast member tomorrow. No kidding. Wow. Wow. So we'll now, be announcing a name a day every Monday through Friday for the next several weeks, and I'm doing it in a fun kind of not random but seemingly random order where one day it'll be, oh, cool, that guy. The next day it'll be like, that guy? And the next day it'll be, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> well, if, if we give you our absolute word, I can put this up any time within the next couple weeks. Could we perhaps announce a shared exclusive with you? Uh, no, here's what I will do. You could put this up first, and then I will come back with you if you want on a day and give you one that's yours exclusively. Okay. Sounds. Great. I can't give you the first one because oh, I want. Oh to no, that no. I mean, we can go any and up any time within the next couple of weeks. This could. Get yeah, posted. I'm happy to come in and do it. Let me get my first couple out the normal way. But fantastic. Yeah. All right, not a problem. <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble, Rob, but I'm the who the hell is that guy? Yeah. <laughs> that's, the secret. that's the thing, guys. Sorry. Also, I think it's really important when you a look understand, and, and I'm working with performers that are approaching this much more like actors working with a filmmaker yeah. than wrestlers. It's just this is a different animal. It's 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 it's. I think people don't. I'm going for a different tone, very specifically, and different themes. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think. My hope is that when people look at the ensemble, when it's all said and done, they go, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah. Because (laughs) if it looks like WWE or TNA or Ring of Honor or Dragon Gate or anybody else, I'm done. I'm dead. And to me, I think there's something incredibly liberating about saying – I'm, I don't exist in a universe where the Monday Monday Night Wars happened uh, in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Hmm. I'm not beholden to it. I don't, I don't give a fuck. No, hey, remember back in 1996? No, no, I don't. Yeah. Not in this world. Yeah. And I think that the audience, there are some people, guys, that are not going to like what I do. They're just not going to get it. Sure. But I think there's enough people out there that understand what wrestling is enough that as long as you don't insult their intelligence, are willing to go and suspend their disbelief. And again, at the end of the day, guys, I'm giving you an entire season's worth of content for yeah. less than half the price of a three-hour WWE pay-per-view. Right. Very now, true. It's fair. You, you would 
obviously 52 weeks of wrestling is insane. What what are you looking at uh, time wise? I mean, how many weeks of filming and all this are, are oh, you looking at? Well, into? I'm shooting it in, in like a film, so I'm shooting it in a condensed period. Oh, okay. It'll be a 13 episode series. Excellent. Okay. Um, is there a targeted release set right now? I think you're probably looking at first quarter 2012. I mean, that's in Image's hands. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I think that their attitude is Image is incredibly enthusiastic because of the response we've gotten. I think my instinct is, you know, we have obviously Image has been an incredible partner and we are be, we're going to be very, I mean, they're the number one independent distributor in North America, so we'll be everywhere. Wow. But the, from a worldwide point of view, my instinct is based on a couple of the offers we've had, we will be sold worldwide. And really, at the threshold of what my budgets are, mm-hmm. um, I don't have to sell to that many territories to get to come back and do more of it. So to me, Good. look, I got to do the best version of this humanly possible. It'll, it, I, I, and again, like it'll, I'll never get all the way there. If I can get fifty percent of the way there, at least it it, it, it changes something, you know. Right. Uh, and, and then my hope is that I get a chance maybe to come and do more and expand the universe and and keep. But I think you'll find like I'm I'm. It's gonna. I think you'll see it initially as kind of deceptively simple. Uh, well, you know, in a lot of ways, it's an origin story. I'm looking to create a status quo. Uh, well, at the same time, examining kind of what makes a. You know, let's let's look at these sort of stereotypes of the business and the themes in the the general sort of classic traditions, mm-hmm. and let's go inside their heads a little bit. What makes the will? What what makes a man a heel? What makes a man a baby face? Why do two guys put their personal ambitions aside to partner? What you know? Right. I, I hate mismatched tag teams. Mm-hmm. Why do they get together? Yeah, there's the conversation between Booker T and Goldust where they're right. like, yeah, we have no reason to hang out. Let's go spend our career ambitions. <laughs> sure, exactly. Um, as we wrap up, since we're running kind of uh, close Sorry to our that. time with you, um, if fans are looking for more information about your project or um, want to find you online, how can they do that? A couple different places. We'll be announcing, as I said, a name a day uh, starting tomorrow on geekweek.com, wrestlingrevolutionproject.com, and on Twitter. My personal Twitter is at Cats Money for the project at the WR Project. Uh, those are probably the easiest. Also, like us on Facebook. Excellent. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, uh, can I call you Jeff? I don't know. <laughs> no, this, this interview's uh, over, damn it. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I can't thank you enough for coming yeah. on the show. This has been a tremendous conversation. I mean, you've had your hand in things that all of us are very passionate about. So uh, hearing the stories and everything has been absolutely phenomenal. So thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah.